0: And discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or call them at 877-646-5347. Again, that's 877-646-5347. Make sure to go to TimCast.com, click join us and become a member to support this podcast and all the work we do and you'll get access to exclusive uncensored segments from TimCast IRL and way more. Now, let's jump into the first story. There's a bit of controversy, I guess, on Twitter, but I don't pay too much attention to it. People are upset over the opinions of some of the people who work here at TimCast.com. Uh, we've got a lot of people who are very pro-Israel and a, a handful of people, it's a handful on both sides, who are either very pro or very opposed to uh, Israel's latest military action. Actually, I don't, I don't know if anyone here is just like adamantly in favor of everything Israel's doing. I think for the most part, it's kind of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a heated debate. And it's, it's, it's allowed. The opinions are allowed. You know, I'll probably do a segment on it later today about the, the, the deep concern that people are expressing over the opinions of our staff. But there's a reason why I opened this segment by mentioning this, because I think it is fair to be concerned about what is happening in Israel and to be critical of Israel, not because Israel is deserving of any violence or, in my opinion, I'm actually relatively pro-Israel. Um, the issue is is that U.S. involvement and expansion and escalation of war is leading us down the path to World War III, and this latest story has me a bit worried. U.S. deploys THAAD system, Strike Group, amid recent escalations— by Iran. Iran? That's right. Thad. What what, what are we looking at here? We're looking at the thermal terminal, sorry, terminal high altitude area defense system. These are anti-ballistic missile defense systems being deployed into the region. I'm seeing several news outlets report that uh, Hamas and Hezbollah do not have ballistic missiles, but Iran does. We now have a massive surge of U.S. troops into the region and a fear that World War Three is about to occur because the U.S. is hellbent on invading Iran. Now, it's funny. It's funny because I sit here in this room as a man who whinges on the Internet for money. And I, I don't know the deep nature of the classified secrets of war, anything like this. And so I recognize that as a weakness in my perspective in my perception. And there's not a lot I can do about that. But it is a requirement of those who seek to engage in warfare to justify this war to me. And they have not. And to you, to all of us, they have not. Right now, what we're getting is uh, of many people on the left demands for the end to Israel, which I think is insane. You have many people on the right adamant that no one, no one criticize Israel's military retaliation in in the Gaza Strip. And now that may seem like an isolated regional incident, but it is bleeding out to a larger conflict with airstrikes in Syria, evacuations and airstrikes in Lebanon and Iran threatening involvement and the U.S. deploying defense systems more likely to be uh, to be in preparation for war with Iran. War with Iran is not going to be some uh, desert country, Afghanistan, Taliban nonsense. Iran is not like Iraq and Afghanistan. And, and that's a mistake a lot of people make when they when they look to uh, these conflicts. You take a look at a map and what do you see? Most people don't know geography. Iraq and Afghanistan are, are to the uh, Iraq to the west, Afghanistan to the east of Iran. We have military bases surrounding Iran, and they know it. And they know it greatly. I mean, this is, this is in the presence of their mind quite a bit. And so now we're being told there are escalations by Iran. The United States, what was it? Was it Wesley Clark general came out to the U.S.? The U.S. has its eyes set on seven nations. Iran's one of them. But let's talk about this risk. We have a few stories that I want to go through. We have this from the Mirror. China, Russia and North Korea using smokescreen of Israel to prepare for World War III. Call it what you want. Call it what you want. Preparations for World War III are underway across the board. And this is what we are staring down. And you may ask yourself, what does this mean to me? Well, look, I see what happens with uh, with Hamas uh, uh, paragliding in, tearing down the fences and just brutally massacring. Israeli civilians are, and, and, and the left pa- marching through the streets, rioting, defending Palestine and all these things. And I disagree. I disagree. And I know there are people at, uh, at Tim who disagree with me that I've hired, but I respect their opinions. I, I, I should say I respect their right to have these opinions. I don't necessarily respect their opinions. Right. You know what I mean? Like you're allowed to have your opinion. If I think you're wrong, I think you're wrong. My concern here is. What could happen here in the United States? As a result of World War Three is multifaceted and obvious. The first nuclear annihilation. I'm not that's not my biggest fear, to be completely honest. I really don't think that if war erupts in uh, in the region, that it's going to result in global annihilation. Why? As it pertains to Ukraine, there was a uh, Polish member of parliament. I think it was a Polish member of parliament. I can't remember who said that no one. I can't remember the name of the city. He said no one will sacrifice this city for New York. Right. Meaning, no one's going to engage in a, in warfare to a degree that New, New York City gets New York uh, gets gets nuked, gets New York gets nuked, and so here's what I see as a possibility: Russia doesn't want to get nuked, China doesn't want to get nuked, the United States doesn't want to get nuked. So when we talk about mutually assured destruction, the general idea is like, okay, sure, fine. If if Russia fires a nuke at the U.S., we nuke them back, sure. But it's for this reason. I don't believe a nuclear war with ICBMs results in global annihilation. What I see as being more likely is that if war in the region escalates with US, Russian and Chinese involvement in the Middle East around or in Iran, what likely would happen in the event of an ICBM nuclear strike is tit for tat between the great powers nuking the region and not each other. Why? Because I'll tell you this right now, mutually assured destruction, I don't believe is correct. I don't believe that if a nuke was headed towards, well, I I should put it this way. Typically, people, people believe, and this is where the confusion comes in, that mutually assured destruction is that if the U.S. uses a nuke, every other nation will fire their nukes and everyone's blowing each other up. But the use of a nuke is going to be isolated. The U.S. is not going to arbitrarily nuke Moscow. It's not going to happen. And so Moscow has no reason to nuke D.C. There's not going to be a circumstance where any one of these nations says, "Okay, that's it. Target a great powers capital. What will happen? Someone and we might not even know who did it. We might not be able to detect who did. it. Everyone will blame each other. But let's say the U.S. says enough and they try to nuke Iran. You think Russia is gonna nuke the United States because the US nuked Iran? No way. Because Russia doesn't want to get nuked. Russia may nuke US assets in the region. And that's it. And that's and then the US is not going to nuke Russia because the US doesn't want to get nuked. You see how it works? You know, look, it's a it's 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 a dirty, dirty game. And I don't mean game in a positive sense. I mean it's it's a tactic is the strategy and it's The U.S. says, look, if we do nuke and we hit Russian assets, they're not going to nuke us back. And Russia says, and we know the U.S. won't either because we're pointing the big guns at each other. That's what it's that's what Second World is all about. The Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union. There's a reason why we didn't go head to head nuclear weapons, but we did engage in proxy wars basically everywhere. That is likely to remain, you know, what happens. But enough about that. Let's talk about the deployment of this THAAD system and enough ranting, and I'll tell you where we're currently at. Newsweek reports the U.S. has deployed a terminal high altitude area defense anti-ballistic missile battery and additional Patriot missile battalions to undisclosed locations in the eastern Mediterranean in response to recent escalations on the part of Iran and its proxies over the war between Israel and Hamas. In a statement released on Saturday, the defense secretary said he had also ordered the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower carrier strike group to join the USS Gerald R. Ford group in the central command area, as well as asking further forces to be prepared to deploy to the region as part of prudent contingency planning. He added that the steps he had taken would bolster regional deterrence efforts, increase force protection for U.S. US forces in the region, and assist in the defense of Israel. It's tough, man. It's very, very tough. You know, the whole Israel-Palestine thing is this big debate. And I just got to say, my concern is this is a regional conflict which could draw us into World War III. And we're all hell-bent on charging into it full steam ahead. I love that phrase, by the way, full steam, full steam. a Bygone era of the steam engine. <laughs> Shovel in the coal to boil the water. And that's the reference we use for um, drastically rushing towards something. This is a story from the Washington Post we covered last week. Did you know fast-growing trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast-growing trees makes it easy to order online, And your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code POOL at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code pool at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code pool. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. The Pentagon is surging thousands of troops, and I've had people say, Tim, where are you seeing 19,000? Well, I got the number for you right here. The move includes the deployment of two U.S. aircraft carriers and their associated escort ships, hauling some 15,000 personnel combined. The repositioning of an amphibious task force made up of about 4,000 Marines and sailors and an undisclosed increase to fighter squadrons already arrayed throughout the Middle East. Another 2,000 support troops have been put on alert and they should be ready to go within days. Okay. so this is what they're saying. 19,000 personnel. OK, I say troops because I consider a dude on an aircraft carrier operating the machine a troop. But a lot of people think troops means in combat infantry. OK, well, we'll be careful. Nineteen thousand personnel, U.S. military personnel operating in the region already. Deployment of two U.S. aircraft carriers and their and their and, and their escort ships. This is two strike groups, two of them. And we have 11. That's a lot. That's a lot. 4,000 Marines and sailors in their amphibious task force and 2,000 potentially ready to deploy. And my understanding is those 2,000, it's been reported, are being told they may enter the region. Now, this is, this is tough, man. The Telegraph uh, published this by Robert Clark today. The U.S. stands on the brink of global war. Washington must stand firm if it is to avoid direct conflict with iran and china. I see this, okay? And 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 there are very very difficult questions right now. The conflict between Israel and Hamas is escalating. There are heated debates and anger. There's just anger across the board on Twitter. I don't have all the answers for you. I don't have the key to the door of abject morality of of absolute morality. I don't know. I can tell you this, you know, my opinion is fairly clear. Uh, Hamas stormed into Israel and just massacred civilians and and uh, many on the left, Hamas and, and, and these leftists lied about what happened. And I'm just done. The hospital thing was such a slap in the face. We were all so busy debating who bombed the hospital. No one even stopped to ask if the hospital was even bombed and it was not. So it turns out it was likely a Hamas rocket misfire that blew up a parking lot. And it did kill people. We don't know how many. So some of the left are still reporting 100 to 300. And I'm like, in a parking lot? Maybe, maybe. I, I'm sorry. They're just all liars. But I don't want war. And so I see this, you know, people who are just so upset about it. And I'm like, look, man, the only thing I'm really concerned about, one, stopping the death of civilians. And so if someone is critical of Israel, my response is only so long as you are saying stop killing civilians, OK? I, you know, I, I don't know what else to tell you. It's war. Israel is going to retaliate against Hamas, and it's going to have massive collateral damage. And you're and people are going to come out and try and figure out who is on the right or wrong side. And I do not have the key to absolute morality. But I can tell you this. If Hamas did not storm into Israel and massacre a bunch of people, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be facing the brink of absolute war. So I don't have the answers for you. I don't. But I'm not going to sit here and say Israel's at fault for having been attacked because in 1947 they won a civil war or anything like this. Or 1967. Dude, it's war. That's all I can say. You, you, you People are going to choose their sides on this one. And this one's tough. But my only concern is what do we do to stop World War III from happening? And I'm not so sure we can. I'm certainly not. I'm certainly sure I can't. And so the only thing I can tell you is this. We are we are staring down the barrel of global conflict to a degree which has never been seen by humanity. And when it happens, if it happens, you will cry, you will cry and you will pray and you will beg for it to stop. Because we have grown up, us millennials, the older generation gets it, I'm always fascinated when I'm watching these old movies like, uh, you know, these 80s films and these 70s films and stuff, listening to this music. You know, I was listening to, um, I was listening to, you know, a you know, song I really love is Rasputin by Boney M. What a great song. It's just like- so good. And I'm watching this uh, video on YouTube of live at this German, con- like this German uh, uh, show in 1979. Nobody's grooving to this song. They're playing this song, you know, Ra, Ra, Resputin, lover of the Russian queen. And everyone in the crowd is just staring at this band. And I'm like, it's so crazy. At the time of the song, people weren't just like so enthralled by it. Because now, many of us, we know that song. It's like such a classic disco song, right? I love that song. And I'm like watching this audience, not really care. No. But we, there reason I bring this up as I'm thinking about, like, that all happened during the Cold War with the threat of nuclear annihilation in the minds of everyone. But humanity, we carried on. We carried on. Biological weapons, nuclear weapons, hypersonic missiles, satellite weapons, directed energy weapons, active denial systems people do not understand the horrors that will be unleashed if this conflict escalates into global war. They don't get it. You know, it's all movies. It's all movies. Veterans get it. People who fight get it. You know, uh, one thing is true. And anybody who knows anybody who is a, a UFC fighter, MMA guy, black belt, martial artist, like legit, Anybody who's been in war or knows people who have been in war, there's one thing you know about those who are masters of violence is they desperately, desperately want to avoid it. I I remember watching this video, this ripped guy, you know, he was a professional boxer and I think it was in Europe, viral video from like 10 years ago. And these three guys are like going like this at him and going like this and he's backing away with his hands up. And then one guy lunges at him and swings, and he puts his fist up, jumps back, and then boom, one hit, guy goes down. Backs up, backs up, gets his fist ready, and he's trying to escape, trying not to fight. And one hit, one hit, one hit, knocks these guys down. People who know how to fight don't want to fight, because they know the repercussions, the ramifications of what that fight means. But people who don't fight don't get it. They don't get it. Now, I'll tell you this, I've, I'm not a combat guy. I've not fought. I'm not a fighter. Uh... But I've seen things. I, 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 I can only I can only imagine certain things. But I I have seen things, I've seen people die. I have seen urban conflict and crisis I've been shot at. I've not I've not fought. I've not witnessed a friend die. And the feeling you get, I can only tell you how close I've ever been to it. And it's a feeling I had never felt before. And it's something I think most people don't understand, but I know veterans do. I know they do. And they know it way, way a hundredfold, thousandfold more than I do. I can tell you this. When I was in Egypt during the uh, second revolution. I watched a guy die. I, I don't know what happened. I think he got shot. They had these makeshift uh, shotguns. Something happened, but he just flopped down. F- That's it. Nothing left in his body being carried off the streets. And uh, we all stood from our safety in our you know 20th story balcony as a guy was carried off from a highway after this fight happened. And I will say it's presumable death. I mean, this is this is this is what I was told. I mean, you watch a guy get struck in this in this fighting, and then body go just done. People don't understand knocking out isn't a real thing. You get knocked out, you're down for a few seconds, and then you come back to. This guy was just, yeah. And the only other thing I can say that's comparable to it is I saw a car accident once. Um, I saw a car accident where a guy was thrown from his vehicle and immediately his. his Man, I, I I have to say this, I, I really do, and I apologize to people. Trigger warning, I sincerely mean it, but I hope people understand the severity of what we are staring we are staring at. Seeing conflict in these cities, it's 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 you. It's, it's there's a fear there is, but it's a feeling I had felt before. Seeing someone get injured, I've seen people get injured, and I can't describe um, actual combat death and 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 bodies. But I do know, um, and first responders know this stuff too, especially cops who have dealt with uh, serious violence. I've heard so much stories from cops too. The feeling you get when you see a dead person, a dead body. And you see in TV shows, when someone sees the body, they throw up immediately. I don't think people understand. Because I can tell you this, I don't. And I've only I've only grazed this. And the things that I have seen in in conflict and crisis give me a feeling... Um, that I understood. I saw a car accident once where a man was thrown from his vehicle and his legs were immediately crushed into ground, uh, in, 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 into loose, shattered meat. I'm, so, I'm not trying to be vulgar or crass. And it, that was something I had never seen before. The man was lying on the ground, trying to move his legs. And it, I, I, it's indescribable. The feeling that I got in that moment was something I had never felt before. I don't have a word for. And I, I, I wonder if it's just me. But I really do think that the people who fought, the people who fight, even first responders, they understand what I'm saying. Maybe some don't. I don't know. Because I can only imagine what they've been through day after day after day. But seeing that, and this is not conflict or crisis. This is a car accident. But the, d- the degree of this and the severity of the injury was, was so shocking to me. I, uh, the hands, the legs, man, I'm not even a first responder. I, I have been in places where bullets are flying. I, I've been in places where people have been shot and survived. And I've witnessed from a distance just one time, one time, a person uh, uh, reportedly dying. I say reportedly because I'm trying to be as honest as I can. You know, it's not like I followed the guy to the hospital and checked his vitals, but this is what was reported to me. After witnessing it happen and seeing this in- this car crash was just like, so this is why I'm anti-war. It is, and it's why I think it is in the best interests of everyone in this world to 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 say whatever we have to say to stop this conflict. Right now, there are a lot of people on the left who are advocating for ceasefire, and there's a lot of criticism from people on the right over it. Man, I'm I, I get it. I really, really do. Jeremy Boring, I think, had a masterful response. When it came to uh, Jeremy Boring, co-CEO of the Daily Wire, when it came to what was going on with Israel, when he said, we don't want a proportionate response because that would be Israelis just storming into Israel and massacring civilians. Jeremy's correct. But right now, understand this. I think I have it. it might be in the, in the Telegraph story, actually. The first paragraph. The war between Israel and Hamas is set to intensify, with the ground invasion of Gaza believed to be imminent. Israeli forces are gathering in strength along the border, and Defense Minister Yoav Galant has told the waiting troops that they will soon see Gaza from inside. The command will come. The command, when it comes, could be the first blow in a much wider conflict in the Mediterranean Sea.
1: That's right
0: On Israel's northern border, meanwhile, exchanges of fire with Iranian-funded terror group Hezbollah are growing in intensity. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has warned that direct conflict would bring unimaginable devastation to Lebanon and Hezbollah. I see these videos, and I'm not going to call anybody up, but I saw a video of someone reportedly getting injured, and their reaction was strange to me. The reaction, of journal, journalist reportedly got injured. And uh, many, many journalists. And I'm not going to describe it beyond that because I don't want to uh, besmirch the honor of anyone who was actually injured. But based on my experiences, as limited as they are, the, the, the reaction in this video of what people were doing and saying sounded so fake. Sorry. It's just how I feel. Because of the things that I've seen in urban conflict and crisis, not war. I've seen people get shot. And uh, they don't react this way. I've seen people get injured. They don't react this way. And then there's a lot of propaganda, false flags and war. Fox News, McCarthy concerned of terror sleeper cells in U.S. amid Israel Hamas war, says speaker must prioritize the border. I think I want to expand upon this for my my 1 p.m. segment to understand what it means for all of you should this war escalate what it means for you at home, and what it might feel like. So I'll just say this, without turning this one into a, you know, a half an hour, 40-minute videos I sometimes tend to. We are on the brink of global war, World War III. With the deployment of these Stad systems, it's an indicator that the U.S. is preparing for war with Iran. Not Hamas. U.S. hostages have been taken. No one's going to back down. We can see young people. There was a poll that was put out. 18 to 27, I think, was the demographic. I'm not sure. Uh, or no, maybe it was like 18 to 24. But uh, Gen Z, overwhelmingly pro, pro-Hamas, pro pro-Palestine. And I say pro-Hamas, pro-Hamas. I'm not being cute. You know, a lot of people say, we're not pro-Hamas. We're pro-Palestine. A lot of people say, we're not. It, it's, it's not anti-Semitism. It's anti-Israel, blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying any of that. I'm quite literally saying pro-Hamas. When Hamas stormed into Israel and massacred civilians, These people are calling those people resistance fighters. You see, it is pro-Hamas. And not everybody who's critical of Israel is pro-Hamas or anti-Semitic. But I can just tell you this. There is no solution to this. Because people are so fervent. It's insane. I fear what this means for the world. I really do. But I suppose I'll leave it there. Because that's uh, the point at which I can talk about the foreign policy elements and what we are what we are witnessing right now, the deployment of troops, the deployment of a rocket system. I hope you are taking your precautions, picking up your emergency food. You know we've shouted out safeandreadymeals.com in the past. I don't care what anyone says about insulting someone for being a prepper. If there ever was a time to be a prepper, it's now. It's now, man, and we hope. We hope that we're wrong, that in the event you end up, I don't know, buying beans and putting it in your basement or something. If there's two, two worst case scenarios, the absolute worst case scenario, if you buy emergency food, you're huddled in your basement crying with your family as you're eating it in desperation because the, the economy stopped and the food production's been diverted and there's chaos in the streets. The second worst case scenario is if nothing happens and you're wrong. I'd say this is the best case scenario. The best possible outcome is that nothing happens. And one day you say, you know, we got a bunch of this uh, uh, this freeze-dried food or whatever. Still good. Should we eat it? Okay. And you do. That's it. 24 years after buying it, you say, well, we probably should eat. it. It's got a year left and we'll order new ones. That's your best case scenario. Your worst case scenario is you have to eat it. I don't have the answers for you, my friends. I'm not psychic. I'm not the bastion of morality. I'm just some dude. And I'm I'm looking at this news with great fear over what this turns into. And I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. I can't tell you who is morally just and right when it comes to Religious global conflict spanning back several thousand years for which it is impossible to reduce down to a single moment. I can tell you that Hamas flying into Israel and massacring civilians is abject evil and it's wrong. From there, we get Israel's military response, we get escalation. Now, many of you may want to stand firm on one side or the other. There are many people on the left that are out protesting for Palestine, and many of these individuals cheering on Hamas. It's not an exaggeration, and it's not me being cute or biased. They're calling them resistance fighters. But let's separate that for a moment. And I'll tell you where this country is headed. This story from Fox News, McCarthy concerned of terror sleeper cells in U.S. amid Israel Hamas war, says speaker must prioritize border. Sure. It's a good point. Let's prioritize the border. But I'll tell you right now, my friends. It's not even technically sleeper cells. It is this country. I watched a video. Uh, I, I don't know if I've it pulled it up right here. Um, there's a video that, I, that, that I'll show some of. And I, I don't like doing shot content stuff, right? If you, if you want watch, to watch, watch crazy videos, you get them on x.com, uh, Twitter. What a funny name. But uh, in this video, it's a driver who is mobbed by a bunch of far leftists. As he's trying to drive through an intersection, probably a random person has no idea what's going on. The mob begins attacking the vehicle. The vehicle panics, slowly pulls through, nobody seems injured, drives down the block. The pro-Palestine group chases after this individual in the car. And when they stop the next intersection, which another there's another roadblock, they begin violently attacking the car. It doesn't it doesn't matter if they're sleeper cells, and that's the big talking point. It may be the case. They have already captured people crossing the US border who are on the terror watch list list, or come from countries like Iran where um, we have concerns, especially when the US is gearing up for war with Iran. The left calls it a conspiracy theory. Fine. So I do have concerns about sleeper cells, but that's a bit too movie-esque, right? It's something said to shock people. It's the grandiose organized terrorist sleeper cells have crossed through the border. And it may be true. But I'm more deeply concerned about World War Three and what happens to this country. There's a game Nice to play as a kid. I recommend it. Civilization Two. Yeah, I didn't start with one. I wasn't that old. I'm not that old. Uh, but Civilization Two. In this video game, you build a civilization. When war breaks out, between uh, um, two countries, something interesting happens. You'll get a little notification that says partisans emerge surrounding the city. Partisan fighters will pop up around your city when you declare war. Now, what is this? It's just me simply pointing out what video game developers already knew about history. The emergence of your own nationals as partisans taking up arms against you during a war. So as we talk of sleeper cells, and I say we must be concerned, understand what happens if World War Three breaks out. It's not going to just be some far away battle. It is not going to be a distant land where you hear reports on the news like it was with Afghanistan and I don't know what, Kosovo and Iraq, these other countries. No, these battles will be fought in your streets Near your homes, your children will witness it with their own eyes. I don't think we get invaded. I don't think we're going to see a bunch of boats crash onto the shores of California and Chinese soldiers storm into this country because behind every blade of uh, grass lies a rifle, a gun. No, I think what happens is far left groups who have deep sentiment and uh, 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 ties to these foreign countries and these far left extreme organizations They'll take up arms against us and everybody else. I, I, I'm I, sorry, I just don't think it's wrong. Now, I don't know for sure. But the emergence of civil war in this country, as I've long brought up, is, I believe, um, the path that we are on. We may be in based on fifth generational warfare. You know, I was talking to some friends about um, this guy. Uh, he went by Ricky Vaughn. I think it was on, on Twitter. Posted a meme, said text to vote and uh, they're locking him up for it. A woman who was a Democrat who did the same thing, no charges. A similar thing, you know, same, similar, whatever. She also tweeted text to vote and uh, no charges. And I'm asked, why is it happening? And I said, why is it that the the right-wing person goes to jail and the left-wing person doesn't? Because you're in a civil war. So understand what this means about sleeper cells. If there are people in the streets screaming in favor of Palestine and cheering on Hamas, not being cute and it's not biased, quite literally, In New York City, you had numerous groups cheering on Hamas and the targeting of civilians. What do you think happens when real war breaks out? Do you think these people simply just say, uh, you know, we're going to hang back? I don't think so. First, let's read about these sleeper cells. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy warned Sunday of potential terror sleeper cells in the U.S. amid the Israel-Hamas war throwing support behind Rep Tom Emmer for his old job. It's going to be an uphill battle, and they're talking about the speakership I don't care about. In this tweet, Mario Knopfel says, Breaking Hamas could be entering through U.S. border. According to an internal memo, federal officials are warning that members of Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hezbollah could be entering the U.S. through the southern border. It's from the Daily Caller, uh, Daily Caller's News Foundation. And you have this image. It's an actual memo, internally released, San Diego field office, warning, foreign fighters of Israel-Hamas conflict may potentially be encountered. What does this say? Be encountered. Yeah, there's a weird writing. Ah, at south, uh, Southwest border. That's right. Many people say, I don't care. And this is the warning I give to you. I've met many people who say, you know, I used to watch your show, but I just I just can't watch politics anymore. Okay. Tell me what your plan is. When someone comes to your door armed. What's your plan? I don't know that what happened in Israel happens here. I do know that I can show you videos of leftists and pro-Palestine groups physically attacking people. That's weird, right? When I watch these pro-Israel rallies, <laughs> I don't see these these pro-Israel people beating anybody, or smashing car windows and chasing people on the street and throwing firebombs or anything like that. Uh, don't get me wrong. There's, there's violence. There is. There are videos of pro-Israelis calling for uh, the killing of Palestinians. There are people who are call- saying they want to glass Gaza. It's awful stuff, okay? Awful. We want no violence. Trust me on this one. But I, but I, I wonder, when uh, I, I was, Israel did a pre- had a press conference, and they released some of the footage that they recovered from these Hamas fighters. And they asked the question, why are these fighters wearing GoPros? because they're proud of what they've done. Some of the videos I've watched, some descriptions I've read. I'll tell you this. The videos I've watched, it's definitive. A car driving down the road. They killed the people driving the car. That's it. They don't care. Civilian vehicle driving slow. And these men approach and just execute the people driving the car. For what reason? I think because they're settlers. In one video, reportedly, this one I have not seen, Israel uh, uh, played the video, and a reporter for Unheard, and I trust Unheard, said that Hamas fighters break into a house, killing a man in his underwear, while the children scream, "Daddy's dead." They then take these children who are screaming and crying and drag them away. In one video, reportedly, a reporter from Unheard says, after a Hamas fighter kills several civilians, he then starts he calls his father and says, "I want you to be proud of me, father. I've killed ten Jews." nightmarish, evil, and horrifying. People don't understand. They really don't. I will not pretend to have witnessed anything to that degree. I can only tell you that I fear it and what a situation like that would be like driving down the street, minding your own business, when men with guns walk up and just unload their rifles into your vehicle and you. That's the nature of war. To get a phone call from someone saying, an area of your hometown has been taken over by extremists who are cheering for the death of your family. I'm sorry, your mother and your brother were killed, is the message many of these people are receiving. And so I can certainly understand the anti war sentiment coming from many people, people who even work for me. And um, I, I, I respect the anti war sentiment. The conflict that we are seeing right now could lead to World War III. And I can say this there are many people calling for a ceasefire. Many people are disingenuous. There are many people calling for uh, pulling the funding from Israel. Disingenuous. These leftists that are calling for a ceasefire now, that many of them pro Hamas, are doing so because they want to be able to attack Israel and then have Israel's hands tied so they can't respond. Now, I'm not in favor of these mass bombing campaigns. I'm not in favor of collateral damage, but I I don't have the answers for you because I don't know what you should or should not do. I can only tell you that this is a fact. Israel's response is part of a, a, a war that could lead to World War Three. What's the argument? Hamas attacks Israel. Israel can't do anything because it could lead to World War Three. Sorry, I have no answer for you. I can neither condemn nor condone. I fully expect that when someone is attacked, they defend themselves. The left argues that Israel is an occupying force, colonizing the region and stealing the land from Palestinians. It's like, dude, I, I'm sorry. This this happens all over the world all the time and is happening in tons of other places. I don't want to see World War III. From the post millennial, chaos ensues as anti Israel protesters clash with police in Brooklyn streets. At least nineteen arrested. I wonder if I uh, I have this video here. Andy No reports. A driver was mobbed at the Palestine uh, Palestine direct action in Minneapolis that shut down the roads on October twenty second. The driver desperately eventually drove off, but was pursued by the mob. Since George Floyd died, Minneapolis leadership tolerates violent leftist riots. I want to show you. You can see the vehicles here. Nobody's injured. Okay, calm down, YouTube. I don't like showing uh, shock content because I think people who are pursuing that want to see it. And, and, I, and I respect if you do, you want to understand what happened. You can get it on X. You can find it on Andy No's page. I'm here to comment and provide my thoughts on it, but I, I will show a bit of this. And uh, you can see the vehicle surrounded by individuals. It's going a mile an hour, if that. It's inching forward. It stops. One car moves out of the way. The car then begins to inch forward again. You see this car moves. This car backs up. Eventually, the car in white speeds off. I'll play this portion for you. You can see here, as the vehicle is already pulled up to a different intersection, people are pursuing and chasing full speed. In fact, even people... On motor, uh, motor mopeds it appears, and motorcycles chase after a vehicle that did nothing, that hurt no one. Chasing full speed after it, they begin attacking it. The vehicle eventually, after getting, after several people start attacking the vehicle, tries to drive off, and it turns around and drives in the direction as people scream, attacking it. Doesn't matter if you think you're right. Doesn't matter if you think you're wrong. The mob has no motivations, no justification other than there's a mob. There is no logic in a mob. I used to go to, uh, I used to cover these protests by Wall Street. And they'd have thousands of people marching down the street, holding up a banner in favor of a cause or another. And I'll tell you something funny. They had what they called facilitators and they had them for a reason. The, the mo- crowd did not know where to go and no single individual could direct it. Unless you were standing in front and telling the front line what to do. What I mean is if there are no facilitators and the crowd is marching, they just go random directions. But if you have facilitators facing the crowd and going like this, their hands, they would motion their hands back like this or or wave in another direction that controlled the crowd. Something funny happened. it's happened a lot. Journalists are also walking backwards, filming the crowd. Sometimes I'd be one of them filming with the live stream camera. And one day, for the first time that I witnessed. I'm sure it happens all the time. One of the journalists took a left turn. The crowd was marching down Broadway. The journalist took a left turn. Not because they were trying to direct the crowd, but because they wanted to get out of the way to get shots as of the crowd passing. Here's what happened. The people marching saw the journalist walking left, and some people thought that was the march path, and the people in front started turning left, more journalists, more individuals, and then the whole crowd the police freaked out this was not the planned parade route they all marched down some side street got off broadway and were going who knows where all because one journalist turned left it happened a lot and that's the thing about a mob when a car drives through one person will run up and say wrap their hand or put a rock in their hand and wrap it with a sheet t-shirt and smash the window once that happened, someone else will run up and jump on the hood. The snowflake doesn't blame itself for the avalanche. These pro-Palestinian riots or whatever you want to call them. It's, it doesn't matter if you agree or disagree. When the far left mob is is in line with something, this is what you will get. Doesn't matter if it's a rock concert or a, the Super Bowl victory or whatever. If there is a mob and they're getting violent All it takes is one snowflake to prime the avalanche, and then not a single other snowflake takes responsibility for it. There's nothing the police can do. I saw another video where people were like singing, singing some song like hands on your knees or something, and they're surrounding a bus and jumping up on the bus and just dancing. There's no political cause here, but they're acting up. Fortunately, not super violent. Barry Weiss reveals sickening anti-Semitic graffiti outside the free press offices. Why would this happen? Why why would someone write this? This looks like in their building. Wow. Barry Weiss says this was scrawled outside of our offices this week. If the anti-Semites who did this think it'll intimidate me and the journalists of the FP, they don't know me, they don't know us, and they have no idea what we stand for. No, I don't think they wrote this to intimidate you, Barry. They wrote it as a a slapping a, slap, a sticker on a wall. It is a, an assertion of presence. In skateboarding, we do this thing where there, we'll have a wall ride. It's exactly what it sounds like it is a trans, transition that goes up to a wall, and you ride on the wall vertically and then come back down and land on the ground. You've seen half pipes, right? Well, when the wall ride goes up 30 feet to the ceiling, people like to go as high as they can and slap a sticker. That's them saying, I did it. That's how high I got. What they're doing to your offices is letting you know they got there, that their presence be known. You can call it intimidation or whatever. I don't think they're trying to intimidate you. I think they're trying to pound their chests and assert authority in an area, whether you care or intimidate it or not. They're trying to tell you that they are there. I don't know that it's like they're like, I hope this scares them or anything like that. My fear. When you see these videos, like Andy No posted, it's not that we are going to see. We're not going to see sleeper cells. We're going to see our own homegrown leftists go full domestic terrorist. We already have. It's funny. And, And and what then? I wonder where we're at. Does the deep state support Palestine or Israel? We're about to go to war with Iran over Israel. Don't think they support Palestine, Gaza, or Hamas. So what now? Interesting days indeed. This could be exactly it. You see, why is it that the machine has protected and defended the left so so brutally? When the war does break out, how do you justify absolute authority? Far-left extremists, homegrown, engaging in acts of terror and violence in the name of Hamas. You see the game. A lot of people on the right are concerned that the Patriot Act is now being weaponized against them, and it is, for sure. Abuse of the FISA courts targeting Trump. But think about what happens now. I'm not saying this is true. I'm just saying this is an inevitability if this continues on this path. If we go down the path of full-scale war, if the far left decides to to ramp up violence in response to U.S. involvement with the war with Iran or whatever or Israel, imagine this scenario. We go to war. Far leftists then start engaging in terror and, and vi- riots in the name of Hamas. Hamas being an enemy combatant in the war, which we are involved with Israel. They're call- already calling Hamas uh, militants is- Israel trained. This is part of the press conference released by Israel earlier. They say that uh, uh, Hamas was trained by Israel and Israeli proxies are engaging in conflict with Israel. When we go to war with Iran, the leftists waving Palestinian flags will be deemed sympathetic to the enemy or enemy combatants themselves, depending on the degree to which they engage in this. And then you will get the left being crushed under a boot. I don't know that it's intentional. I don't know what happens. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the U.S. government wants to go to war with Iran, but then secretly supports these groups at home and lets them run amok. Maybe. Why? It justifies war with Iran. Get it? When you have people in this country being attacked by pro-Palestinian leftists, you see where it all bubbles up to. Patrice Cullors of Black Lives Matter being in support of ending Israel, as she called it. That's Black Lives Matter. BLM protesters posting uh, pro-Hamas messages, uh, paragliders and things like this. You then get regular Americans freaking out that sleeper cells are in their country and the left supports them when they feel the attack themselves, they'll want war. They'll call for vengeance and blood. So I'll say it again and stress it. I don't know that it's a big grand scheme or anything like that, but I'll tell you this. How do you get the American people to support war with Iran? I don't know. False flag attack. That's the the traditional method. Many countries throughout history. Would fly the flag of the enemy, attack themselves, and then blame the enemy. You ever see the Princess Bride? Come on, that's a great one. And this is from the 80s. Uh, the plan was to kidnap Princess Buttercup and frame Gilda so that I don't know the name of the country they're in could go to war with them because the princess was captured, right? False flag attack. Prince, um, Prince Umperdink hired the ben- bandits himself uh, Fezig and Enigo uh, Montoya and Ficini. What a great movie, right? But that, my friends, is the nature of a false flag. Small scale, kidnapping one person, public official. Yes. But I don't know exactly how it goes down, but I can tell you if the far left with Palestinian flags attacks regular people and Republicans and Democrats, because Democrats are coming out right now as well opposed to this, and they all say, these people are in our backyards and they're attacking us. We must stand firm. What happens? Cities locked down. You get your social credit scores. You get your mass surveillance state and you get World War III with the deep state able to go to war with Iran as the American people scream. Begging to put an end to it. If far left extremists waving Palestinian flags attack regular people as they're starting to regular people are going to find themselves more aligned with Israel. And then against Iran. Just a thought. I don't know for sure how this plays out. I'm not psychic. But if. Yes, that's where we'll end up. Now, I don't know, man. They're saying there are sleeper cells. There's a fear of terrorists. And I think it's true. But I think you should consider as the left has begun to riot and they have in favor of Palestine, with many in favor of Hamas, not all of them. I draw that distinction. It will come to your back door. And these things are, are terrifying. It's happening in Minneapolis. You're a random person. So all those people who think if I keep my head down, I'll remain safe. You're wrong. You're wrong. They'll come to your house. They'll see your American flag. And they'll say, why aren't you flying our flag? And you don't want to live that way. These leftists don't either, but they will because it's what they're fomenting. But I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Right now. There are many people furious with the postings of Cassandra McDonald on Twitter. Cassandra, of course, is the editor in chief of Timcast News, as well as the individual who handles the booking for Timcast IRL. Mostly, we have more than one booker, but Cassandra handles uh, most of it. And, uh, you know, as it goes with any kind of political talk show, you're going to get anger from a lot of people. The first thing I will say is not to be unkind or unfair. There are many people who do not like Cassandra's opinions as it pertains to the war between Israel and uh, Palestine. And Cassandra has taken a very, very hard anti-war stance. She is very, very critical of Israel. And uh, that was always allowed. Uh, I I, I think I uh, very much disagree with Cassandra on a lot of these things. And uh, I've taken a pretty hard stance against Hamas and have been overwhelmingly pro-Israel. We have several people at this company who are, I think, you know, I think to be fair, most of the people here lean pro-Israel. And it's just a weird thing for like us to be arguing about because we are not experts on any of this. But people ought to get angry. I think it's fair to say that uh, um, when we have a lot of these tweets of people who are angry over uh, Cassandra's tweets, they're allowed to be angry about it. However, I am impressed by this controversy so much so I have to do a segment about it because these people complaining, demanding that I fire people like Ian (laughs) or Cassandra uh, or anybody else and others, you know, it's like they don't watch my show. It's like they don't listen to me and what I've talked about. It's weird, isn't it? Now I have my moral lines, okay? And um, I think with like, the degree to which Cassandra has tweeted things, you know, uh, uh, and, and we'll be, we'll keep it completely real. There was a, a video on confirmed reports of a paraglider attempting to infiltrate uh, infiltrate Israel during rocket fire from Gaza. Cassandra said it's impressive. Imagine paragliding into Israel. Freaking Israel with rockets are launching the balls of ballsy moves. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that tweet, but there's a lot of tweets that people post. I'm not a fan of. And I'm, I, my attitude is more so like, this company has values that are rooted in the founding of the United States, in the, in the ideas of America should take care of itself. Uh, I'm not, I'm not an isolationist. I think Cassandra uh, is, is a bit more. But so the issue for me is, um, while I do find, and, and I'll be completely honest, you know, Cassandra's tweet to be distasteful. I understand there's a general argument of, it doesn't matter if, you know, if, if, if you're good or bad. There are impressive actions, brave actions taken by evil people, risky moves or whatever you want to call it. doesn't mean you condone the actions they take. But I'm not a fan of the tweet. But I'm also not someone who lives or dies by the current uh, uh, arguments between Israel and, and Palestine. I have my opinions. I have my efforts. And my efforts are not directly tied to this conflict, other than to say, I fear it's leading us to World War III. I feel like a lot of these people. I'll show you some of these tweets. Let's go through, go through these tweets. We'll talk about it. Bethany Mandel, who has been a guest on IRL, I believe two or three times, maybe two, maybe three, says, y'all see what's happening with this lady, right? What do you mean, see what's happening? Cassandra's held these opinions like forever. It's not the first time she's tweeted them. She's got tons of tweets going back a long time, which is critical of Israel's actions as it pertains to Gaza. She says, how many Jews have been booked on Timcast since she took over as booker? Here's more. The reason why I love this so much is for so many reasons. And I hope I can give you an understanding of my my views. First, I'm not going to fire someone over their opinions for the most part. And I've said this before. I am not a uh, I'm not so morally absolute as to say there's no ramifications to someone holding negative opinions or working against our goals. My goals with this company are about the United States, freedom of speech, personal responsibility. And and what I should really say, it's about conversations and these ideas, better understanding the truth to bring about a better future. It's kind of how I view things and uh, kind of how I feel about stuff. What I deeply, deeply care about, what offends me, people who lie, cheat and steal. Other than that. You know, come in, come here and express your opinions and I'll argue with you. So Bethany Mendel asks. How many Jews have been booked on IRL since she took over? And uh, I think I might have the tweet uh, pulled up already. Do I have it pulled up? Here we go. Lauren Chen says she said at least four Jewish, uh, four Jewish people on within the past month alone, which incidentally is more than number of Muslims she's booked. But no one is accusing her of being Islamophobic. Cassandra is not a bigot. Her criticism of Israel does not make her anti-Semitic. That's right. 20% of TimCast IRL guests are Jewish. I think this is really, really funny. I also think it's funny that Bethany responds that Max Blumenthal, as if to imply it's a bad thing, said, lol, Max Blumenthal immediately following the massacre is your defense. You've lost it too. So I will will say this. Let me let me let me try and slow down here. You're allowed to have opinions I disagree with. And a lot of people here have opinions I disagree with. I respect that. I will argue with you. Max Blumenthal came on TimCast IRL. He is pro-Palestine, We argued with him, but I thought it was important that he explained these things to us from his perspective as a journalist covering the region with a pro-Palestinian bias, which he admitted to because it helps those who are pro-Israel understand and it helps my arguments when I actually am defensive of Israel. Why? Max explained to us Hamas intentionally targets civilians and the music festival where they killed people is a target of opportunity. Okay. Okay. You don't want me to have that guy on the show? Absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. We had a response from uh, uh, Gabe Hoffman. He says, Tim, you just had Lauren Witzke on your show. And uh, he says she's a virulent Jew hater. Recently claimed the U.S. government is occupied by Zionists and that Jews in media are foreign agents. Not a fan of those statements. Think they're silly. She's critical of Jeremy Boring. I'm actually with Jeremy Boring on these points. A lot of people are demanding That I silence these voices or not platform them. Have you watched a single episode of my show? I will say this as I tweeted. I will sacrifice everything I own and live buck naked in the middle of the woods before I drop to my knees to kiss your pinky ring. So when people say Tim shouldn't have this person on the show or that person. Yeah, sorry. I don't live in your world, okay? There are some people I don't want to have on the show. Why? If I think their goal is to lie, cheat, or steal, manipulate, to enrich, to grift, as it were, not welcome. And that's like the only barrier. And when we had Lauren Witzke on the show, did we, did, did we talk about any of that? That didn't even come up. M- must I screen the politics of an individual before having them talk about current events? not going to happen. Now, don't get me wrong. We know who most of these people are. But it's fascinating to me to see this argument that we mustn't platform people because they hold opinions that is at odds with these individuals. So what happens? Many on the left for a long time refused to come on the show. They don't want to debate these ideas because they know they'll lose. And now the weirdest thing ever, not really, I've predicted this, many on the right who are pro-Israel are outraged that we would have people on the show who are critical of Israel. Sorry. Have a nice day. We've had many people on the show in the past very critical of Israel, anti-war libertarians, anti-war leftists. We don't get a whole lot of leftists, but sometimes they come on. They have opinions. They can express them. And everybody gets mad because they're like, Tim didn't push back enough or Tim expressed certain ideas. Let's look at some of these tweets. Uh, here's a commercial I don't care about. Ashley St. Clair says me and many others many times to insinuate that Cassandra, a dear friend, is anti-Semitic because you disagree with her isolationism is honestly appalling. And you should know better. Garbage like this makes people think we're the boy who cried wolf when there's real anti-Semitism. Pasobic says wasn't Saint Ashley St. Clair just on? Uh, Laura Loomer, not so long ago. What I find fascinating and funny about these attacks, 21 percent of TimCast IRL guests are Jewish. <gasps> and you know what happens? We get attacked by actual anti-Semitic individuals who are angry, not about Israel, but about Jewish people. And they post stars of David in our chat. And you know what? They're allowed to do that. I'm not going to ban them for their opinions if they call for violence. If they, there's a line they can cross where if it's like not expressing an idea, it's hard to say. Because I don't believe in this hate speech stuff. But if the intention is not to advance conversation, but to try and grift as I as I described it, that's that's the line. If they're like trolling or grifting. And a lot of trolling I mostly am okay with. But if it's really just like, you know, if someone has an opinion that's negative towards a group of people, I think they should be called out and exposed for that. I don't think they should be banned for that. But we get we get it's it's funny. In the in the in the years of this show and in the past like year or so with Cassandra doing booking. People have have complained to us religiously, relentlessly that Cassandra is a pro-Jewish Zionist. I am not (laughs) exaggerating. This is hilarious. There are people right now accusing Cassandra of being anti-Semitic when the whole time before this, she was being accused of being pro-Jewish Zionist because she books a disproportionate amount of Jewish people to come on this show. Wow. It's an amazing world we live in, isn't it? It's an amazing world we live in. And there are people saying like, We've, we, will, we won't watch Tim Kessman. Well, look, we have guests that are coming on the show this week who are like vehemently, virulently, like just rah, pro-Israel. I shouldn't say virulently. It's probably just, I mean like passionately, passionately. And we're probably going to on the show completely agree with them. And Cassandra books these people, despite her own political opinions. I don't feel that her opinions interfere with her ability to do the to, to do the job well. In fact, as editor in chief, she's very careful, and I think she does a fantastic job. She'll say something in in you know in our in our company chats. She'll be like, "Hey, I don't think I can write up the story. I'm too biased on this one. I'm so angry right now." And then she'll tweet her opinions, and I'm like, "Okay, um, she's she's against the killing of civilians. I respect that." Uh, she doesn't like war. I respect that. She's anti-intervention, very, very anti-intervention. I can respect all those things. I think some of her tweets may be, you know, I'm not a fan of them, distasteful, whatever. But there are people who are like shocked to find that I would stand up for my friend. And and this is the thing people need to understand. And I'll, and I'll pull up some more tweets on this one. Uh, when, uh, and uh, let, me, let me read this first. Gabe Hoffman said we had Lauren Witzke on the show. And I said, I've also had Ben Shapiro, Dennis Prager, Enrique Tarrio, Alex Jones, Nick Fuentes, Yey, Vosh, etc. My opinions are my opinions. It's like you've never heard my opinion on free speech and platforming. The left doesn't want to come on the show. Sometimes they do. We've got some good guests slated and we want to hear from them and we want to argue with them. That's the point. The idea that I'm going to like people get all mad at Ian and it's like, dude, do you want to live in an echo chamber where you never hear a contradictory opinion or, or or a counterpoint to your points? Right. People are mad that Ian said he wants Palestine to be the Gaza to be the 51st state. And everyone at the show laughed at him. And Ian was like, well, you know, and he, and he defended. It. And it's a nonsensical position. and I, I And I think it was wrong. And I argued with him for it. But you know what? That's the point. You know, We bring people on the show because we're trying to have a robust conversation, not a biased one. And I know, you know, if we went full steam ahead, hardcore conservative, pro-Israel or hardcore left, we'd get a bigger audience. We do. But I am me and I do what I feel like doing. And that's it. And anything you bequeath upon me in terms of your viewership or your membership at TimCast.com is a gift that I am grateful for. Some people hate watch the show. We have members who have called in to yell at me. They're allowed to do it you're allowed to do it. And I respect it. I'll argue with you and I'll use strong words, but I really respect people who want to call into the show and are like, Tim, you're wrong and, 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 and criticize me. And then I'll push back and tell you why I think I'm right. That's the world I live in. The world I live in is that I do things I feel like doing. I talk about things I feel like talking about. If you want a grifter, go find someone who's going to grift to you. You want to see a show where we are going to have on people who like Palestine and people who don't like Palestine. We're going to have on people who are pro-Russia. We did. And they get all mad. Everybody gets mad at us. Dude, I don't care. You know, Joe Rogan uh, mentioned that he just wants to talk, to talk to people about stuff and they get all mad at him for it. I'm a bit crazier than that. I want to talk to people about politics. You know, it, it, it's the saying, um, who was it? Was it Aristotle? I don't know. Better to be a fisherman. No, probably not. Better to be a fisherman than to a, a meddle in the affair in the politics of men. Oh, I'll meddle. I will meddle. Bring them all down. I'll bring on a communist and a fascist and a libertarian, and we can all yell at each other. Why? Because I want to understand and I want to hear what these people's arguments are. And we have people on the show with bad opinions and they're wrong. And I get, I yell at them. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, blah, blah, blah. And we go back and forth. I'm like, what? And I push back on people. People get mad sometimes. They're like, Tim, you're being too mean to your guest. Dude, I do what I feel like doing. If you want to watch an echo chamber, go find your echo chamber to watch. If you want to watch a variety of opinions and conversations around global ideas where we can try to broaden our horizons and figure out what's true and correct, that means we're going to listen to everybody, including people who are wrong. And that means, honestly, we need someone like Ian. Ian could be wrong about a lot of things. But as the, as the meme goes, he either rolls a 1 or a 20. You familiar with this? Basically, in Dungeons and Dragons, I know it's a funny meme, right? If you roll a 1, it's a critical failure. So bad so bad. It's laughable. And a 20 is a critical success. And the joke is that Ian only has two positions. He's either laughably wrong or beautifully correct, showing utmost wisdom and insight that people are shocked by. Typically, he'll say something and people roll their eyes. And then every so often they say something and people are like, whoa, I didn't even think about that. I think that's a wild card that adds to the show. And when he's wrong, we all just tell him he's wrong. Don't you want to hear someone express an opinion and then have it be explained why it's wrong? I'll end with this, and I'll tell you a story, my friends. You know, we have a lot of people come on TimCast IRL. Cassandra is our principal uh, booker and editor-in-chief of TimCast News. I think she does a great job. I think she's brilliant. I disagree with her on a lot of things. It's okay. That was always allowed. If someone at TimCast was actively working against our values, like they were an abject communist who was trying to put these awful books in schools and destroy the United States, they wouldn't work here. If someone believes in meritocracy individuality, but they have a a political opinion on regional conflict and they oppose war and stuff, it's like, well, you know, we'll discuss it. But as long as it doesn't interfere with your ability to do your job, I don't see what the issue is. There are going to be a lot of people who are going to refuse to come on the show because they don't like Cassandra. And what am I going to do, cry about it? We already have a ton of leftists who won't do that. I don't care. The funny thing is, there's a lot of leftists who are now pro-Palestine who are like, well, now that she's critical of Israel, perhaps I'll come on the show. You know, dude, whatever, man. People are going to do people's stuff. That's what I always say. We're going to have honest conversations, and my opinions are my opinions, and her opinions are her opinions, and we're allowed to disagree with each other and still be friends. In fact, she's one of my best friends, and I saw how people were so mad about it. They're like, Tim Pool said she's his best friend. Well, I think my girlfriend is my best friend, but Cassandra is one of my best friends. So I'll tell you this story, as I've told before, which, which is it, it's a, hard, a, story, a hard story for me to tell. It almost makes me cry, and it's the story of Hachiko the dog. Do you guys know the story of Hachiko the dog? You do, because I've told it before, and many of you are just familiar with the great legend of, uh, of Hachiko the dog. Hachiko was an Akita who was raised by a Japanese professor. One day broke from the house and followed him to the train station and watched him board the train. He went, took the train to university where he would teach a class. And this began the tradition for, I think it was a couple years, two years, where Hachiko the dog would walk with the professor to the train station and see him board and leave. Hachiko would go home, but Hachiko would come back around five and wait at the train for him to return. You see, Hachiko eventually figured out around the time the professor would come back from the train and Hachiko, the faithful and loyal hound, would wait for him. One day, the professor boarded that train and waved goodbye to Hachiko and gave him a pat on the head. And while he was at the university teaching, he suffered a stroke and he died. Hachiko waited that day. The professor never returned. Every day after that, Hachiko waited. Now, there were some interventions. People would try to remove him, rehome him, but he would always return to that train station, waiting for the return of his friend. Hachiko didn't know what happened. They say that when a person dies, it is imperative that you let that dog smell the death. To know that their friend passed. The dog will mourn and the dog will eventually find peace and move on. The same as us. Think about it. You have a friend, a lover, a child, a brother. One day they disappear. Do you give up? Do you ever stop looking? Many people do not. I think most people don't. And there are people who say to them, "Look, it's been it's been an insert amount of time. I think it's time we give up the search. Nothing we can do." And they may, but the the person says, "I will I will hold in my heart the hope that they are alive, and I will not give up." And for Hachiko, just a dog, for ten years he waited at that train station, and we knew, but we couldn't tell him. The dog needed to smell the death. That's what they say. The dog needs to smell the proximity of the individual who passed, and they'll know, and they'll mourn. They built a statue for Hachiko at that train station in Japan. And I read this, that March 8th is Hachiko Day, the Japanese holiday for loyalty. I read a story about how they once found a a shattered vinyl, which contained an ambient recording of Hachiko's bark. And they played it on the radio, and it was inspirational to the people of Japan. I hope all of that is true, man. Why? You know, there's something i I, I, I love and respect, and something that that wells me up more than anything. And it's loyalty. I am deeply inspired by it. Loyalty. And so the idea that I would betray a friend over a business or politics, is so laughably insulting to me. And everything I have ever spoken about and stood for, aside from the fact, I routinely say I'll platform whoever I want. And I will argue. And people are allowed to have bad opinions. And the ba- and the people of bad opinions we've had on the show. The idea that I would ever turn to one of my friends and say, sorry, strangers on the inter- inter- internet are mad at me. So I'm going to Fire you or or something like that. It's just so laughably insane. The idea that anyone could get me to drop to my knees and kiss their pinky ring over something like this is insulting. Please, if you have an issue with Cassandra's tweets, you are welcome to come on the show and say it all, and we'll talk about it. And I'll probably agree with you that I find some of her tweets to be uh, uh, distasteful. And wrong, but she's allowed to have them. There are certain ideas that I don't tolerate, no question. I'm I'm, I'm, uh, uh, not so simple as to say that I'm I'm, uh, gonna stand on absolute principle over morals. If someone at this company advocated for things that struck to my core, then there would be a talking to. And so it's simple enough to say this We are not a company that is predicated upon the circumstances of Israel Palestine. I am not a scholar on the region, nor are my opinions formed by what is happening there, other than to say I don't want it to blow up into World War III. If we were talking about someone who is a good friend of mine, like Cassandra, if Cassandra came out and started tweeting about, you know, supporting these books in schools, which she doesn't, by the way, I would have a talking to. And I'd be like, this goes against our values and you're actively fighting against what we believe in. I can say this. If Cassandra came out and started cheering on Hamas to an extreme degree and supported the killing of civilians, there'd be a talking to that would likely result in something. But I don't know what. And I've said that before because I have moral lines, too. But right now, this argument that like. What Cassandra said has crossed this extreme line, I'm like, dude, I have a lot of lefty friends. And leftists claim I'm lying when I say it. And people on the right are arguing it like they'll they'll criticize me for it. I get people calling me a liberal or whatever. Look, I have my moral lines. And uh, this is this. This for me is to the point of like, I really disagree with a lot of these tweets from Cassandra. You know, like I've been very critical of Hamas and uh, I've been very pro-Israel. I don't I don't see Cassandra going on Twitter and insulting me or attacking me like we're friends. You know what I mean? It's funny. The whims of people, but. I don't want to rant too much on the subject. Let me just say, yeah, I got my line. <clears throat> there are some people don't come in the show mostly because they're grifters. But I'll bring on most people. And we'll have these arguments because sunlight is the best disinfectant. And if you can't actually defend your position, then maybe it's not a position worth having. But look, the cancel culture stuff ain't going to work. I don't know. There's no absolute answer. I can't tell you definitively that every single person who works here you know, would always be defended by me, and there absolutely are things Cassandra could say which would criticize our friendship. Friendship isn't just about like, I don't, I don't, I don't I don't, I don't believe in this idea that like we could be friends if you're abject evil. You know what I mean? Like, if there was someone I've been friends with my whole life, and then they decided to come out and advocate for just like Hamas directly and like cheer on and come to me and and rant about like really killing civilians stuff, I'd be like, bro, we we can't do this. We can't. You know what I mean? We have we have lines and limits. And that's about it. I don't know what else to tell you other than. Welcome to Timcast, I guess I am who I am. It is what it is. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. I appreciate your support up until now. But just understand the left supported me greatly during Occupy. And then they got mad later on when Trump got elected. And I was honest about Donald Trump. And it may be that many people who are very pro-Israel get mad at the people I surround myself by or whatever. And that's just the way it's going to be. And then one day the left is going to be like, you know, Timcast, not so bad. And like, here we go. And we'll do our best. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out and I'll see you all then. This video is getting a lot of attention after people have debated whether or not this woman is correct when she says if she's going to go with a guy, he's got to spend at least $200 minimum. Tristan Tate was tweeting about it and he said she's right and people are giving him giving him flack for this. And he's like, no way. And I've seen a bunch of other guys Actually, point out she is correct. And I will say it right now, dude. If you think it is simping because you are going to, because this woman says she wants a minimum of $200 spent on a date, sorry. I mean, like, I feel like, I guess the argument is, it is an incel perspective to agree with this woman when it's actually the other way around. I don't like using that word, it's a stupid word, but the general idea is like, you're, you're, you're a weak man if you're going to give this woman $200 or whatever. Actually, the other way around. Actually, the other way around. And I'll explain, right? The, the the guys that are telling her she's wrong, I feel like, are taking this progressive worldview of like, we have to be equals and we don't got to spend money and all that. And it's like, wait, 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 hold on. I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry, progressives. Let's just, I'm, I'm I'm hoping I can piss literally everybody off with this one. I like traditional gender roles to a certain degree. You know what I mean? And so uh, I think this woman is correct. But let me play the video for you so you can hear what she says. And then we'll have this discussion because it's, it's like I'm just seeing it pop up all over the place. And it's it's important to break this down. Here you go. Oh, sorry. I always I always I always do this with the audio. You know, I bet everyone watching was like Tim's got the audio set wrong. Yes, that that is correct. I do. What's the most
2: a man should spend on a first date? I feel like if I'm gonna get ready and I'm gonna use all my products to come out with you, I need like a minimum of $200. A minimum, and that's like being nice. And what does a man get in return for that? My presence. But aren't you having his presence within you already? I hear you, but no. (laughs) No. I mean, like, I'm here to get to know you. I'm here to get to know you. You invited me out. But he has to drop $200. Yeah. Yep. Minimum. That, yeah. Minimum. Yeah. Just you invited just because me out. just because you have to do your makeup. Um because I have to Okay. So we're going to do the math. My moisturizer is $400. My eye cream is $300. My serum is like another $300. My makeup, you know, not included. So if I have to spend, you know, that's my money. I'm spending my money on these products. She's I'm going right. to use these products. What are you using them for though? For myself. Okay. But I'm going to use these products and I'm going to show up because it's not like I'm going to show up in sweats. The man doesn't owe you anything if you're just getting to know each other. If you're inviting me out, you owe me a date.
0: So uh, this is really, really funny. She's totally correct. It's bad. the first thing I'm going to say. First thing I'm going to say. It's all about the kind of person you're interested in being with. I mean, there might be some guys who are just like, I'm not all about that. And th- and so then, OK, but that's, that's always allowed. And so some people have pointed out it's not good or bad. It's neutral. No, 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 no. Or they said she's not right or wrong. It's like a neutral thing where some people like it. Some people don't. No, no, she is right. She is right. Let me explain. If you want to go on a date with a woman, let's 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 take the conservative perspective on this one. Women don't work. No, I'm, I mean, I'm talking about like 100 years ago. A man wants to take a woman out to a nice dinner at a local uh, a diner or restaurant or something like this. 100 years ago, traditional gender roles. The woman is going to put an effort to be beautiful, to be attractive, to be worthy of this man's hard work. So what do women do? Dude, you you, you ever watch how women would dress back in the day when everybody wore like suits? It's crazy. It took like an hour to get dressed multiple layers. It's super crazy. It really is. So this is part of traditional gender roles. I'm not saying you need to maintain them or like all the feminists are going to get mad now. Like literally, this woman spends a lot on a big wardrobe. Guys, jeans and t-shirts. Don't get me wrong. Like Tristan Tate made a video about this. Like I got I got a nice tailored suit. And he was like, and, and I look good exercise, but it takes me like four minutes to get ready. Let's approach this from a modern perspective. Women do a lot to get ready to go out. They spend a lot more time than guys do. There's effort involved in that. And if if you want to live in the world where men and women split the bill, by all means, that's your thing. You're allowed to do it for what she's explaining. She's talking about a man trying to court her. And she's saying he should spend at least two hundred dollars. She didn't say outright she's spending nothing either. He didn't, you know. I, actually, I do. I do think she says like he's got to spend that or whatever. Maybe I'm wrong. My point is this: two hundred bucks on a night out with a person. Let, let's say you go to the movies. Let's say you're going to do mo- uh, uh, you're going to do dinner and a movie, and then uh, you know afterwards something nice, something nice. Let's say it's like a three prong date. The first thing you do is you have dinner. Let's say it's around five or six. And you go see a movie from, you know, seven to nine. And then at nine, you're going to go down to the pier and ride the Ferris wheel and you wrap it up by 10 or 11 or something like this. 200 bucks. Easy. Inflation, baby. So my question is for the people who are saying she's wrong. Should women pay for dinner? Look. I think if you're dating a feminist and that's the world you live in, you can split the bill. That's fine. I think if you're dating a person who's who's adamant about taking care of themselves, by all means, that's all you. But if we're talking about traditional gender roles, and I don't mean abject and absolute, I mean like just like the modern dating era. If you want a woman like her who's going to buy a nice dress, who's going to get face cream and moisturizer and her hair done, it is so much more money than the guy is spending. No, 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 for real. That outfit she's wearing is probably more expensive than it needs to be. But women have a bigger wardrobe. Why? They are trying to to present themselves to to be attractive, to to be to be better, right? So men build up their skills, they go and work. Women try to be attractive and beautiful and all that stuff. Feminists can argue they don't like it, but this is what the really interesting thing is to me about this. That there's like a lot of people on the right who are like, "You're a simp." I said the woman is correct, and I got responses, "You're a simp." I'm a simp because I think women who who, who try to. Uh, 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 I think it's this woman is correct, and she says she should try to be attractive for her man, and her man should provide for her. <laughs> That's simping, yo, that's like conservatism. The dude goes and punches bricks all day or whatever it is men do with their time. I'm being somewhat silly. Let's go, let's go back. again. Guy goes and hunts wild boar running through the fields, getting cut up, and he's covered in sweat and grease, and then he throws you know the spear and stabs the boar and slays the beast and drags its body back and throws it covered in sweat, all nasty. That's a lot of hard work. And he presents that savage hunt, the trophy, to the other men. Look at the beast that I have captured. They cheer him on. And the women who are like, he can provide for my family. And what do the women do? Put on, smear berries on their faces, try to look more attractive and appealing to try and be the best, the most beautiful. That's like the absolute traditional gender rule, And that still exists today. The idea that there are people on the right arguing that she's wrong. It's like, well, what what do you want her to do? Like she said, on sweats, show up, no makeup, whatever. If that's your thing, like that's your thing. That's OK. But for her, she's trying to attract a higher status man who appreciates the things she does. I'm not saying all high, high status men want women like her. Not true. That's the world she lives in. If she's going to put in the effort to be beautiful and the man is going to put in the hard work to make good money, then she expects the money she spends on herself and and the efforts she takes to be attractive. To be met in kind by a man who is going to work hard to have the funds to, to be something for, for her. Like to, to to meet that level. There's a documentary I recommend everybody watch called The Science of Sex. I think it was on HBO like 20 years ago or something. But they had a bunch of men, they had 10 men and women go into a room and then they had them rate the other men and women. And sure enough, the, the, the men who uh, were like conventionally attractive... Typically, we given an eight or a nine and it went down like the guy who was short and frumpy and chubby was given like a four or a five. And the tall chiseled guy with like, you know, styled hair was given, a, you know, higher rating. That was physical attraction. But then oh, and here's what they did. They brought these things out to the street and they asked people on the street randomly. Here's a picture of a guy. How would you rate him on a scale of one to ten? Surprise, surprise. On average, their control, their test subjects. And random members of the public typically agreed. The guy who was considered a nine, like nobody was a 10, but the guy who was a nine, who was like tall and like, you know, bright smile and chiseled chin and all that. They asked women on the street, like, oh, he's like an eight or a nine. And they were like, surprise, surprise. Here's what they did next for women, men almost completely agreed. They then took the picture of the man who was a nine and they gave them a biography, a bio. In it, they said, that he was the manager at a local theater, making something like $35,000 a year. And what happened? The women were like, he's like a seven. You know, he's like a, a good seven, maybe a six. This attractive guy that they thought was a nine, once they found out what he did for a living, went down. I'm not surprised by that. and I'm not angry about it. That's what they found. And when they took the guy who got rated a four and said he was a software engineer who made 500000 a year, he went up to a six. <laughs> Dude, it is not bad that women find men of means and status to be attractive. It's like the weirdest thing ever. So if a young woman says, I want a man who can spend $200 on our first date because of the effort I put in. Imagine a guy who says, I'm going to spend $200 on a first date. I want a beautiful woman. We're going to get mad about that. No, but you expect a beautiful woman to put in effort to to like, I mean, women are going to shave. She's going to put on makeup. She's going to go tanning. Whatever it is you're into, she is going to try to be attractive for you. And she expects a man of means to to comply with that. So the, the, the other thing that happened in this in the show was they put numbers on everyone's heads at random one one through ten. They told all the men in one room, your goal is to is to pair up with the highest number possible. That's it. And what happened? Guy who's got the one goes in the room. And what do they do? Everyone immediately goes to the woman who has the 10. And she's like, no, 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 I'm interested. And then what happens? She sees the guy with the nine. and She's like, I want you. And the guy with the, they don't don't know what their own number is. So all she sees is a guy with a high number. And she's like, you want to partner up? He sees 10 and he goes, definitely. When the guy with the seven goes, you want to partner up? She goes, not interested. It was that simple. What did they find? It was almost one for one. The six and the sevens paired up. The tens and the tens paired up. The tens, because everyone immediately went for the 10. The tens were just like, you're a 10. I'm in. She's like, you're a 10. I'm in. Let's go. Pair it up. And then it was like the one and two. And like, there was a little mix, but mostly ones with ones, twos with twos, threes with threes. That's what it is. This woman puts the effort in to make herself beautiful. She says, here's my set of standards. I want a guy who could pay 200 bucks. Now, if you're a guy who wants a, a woman as beautiful as this, if you, if you're saying she is beautiful. You see her and you want her and you're like, I can't afford that. Welcome to reality in life. Here's what you can do. Improve yourself. Like I already mentioned, you can be a frumpy, chubby guy who's named who's called, called a four by most women. But once they see that wallet, you bump up to a six. It is possible. Not only that, you know, you can you can get in shape. There's a lot of people who are like, if you're short, you're doomed. Not true, man. You can be short and you can be a millionaire and have the most beautiful men in the world. And I'm not and I take I take issue with the people who are like women are shallow and vapid and gold diggers. I'm like, no, 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 no. Those, those exist. But it is unfair to criticize a woman because she prioritizes status, means and wealth. That is humanity. Women looking for strong men and men looking for beautiful women. It's not absolute. It's not always. But I have tremendous respect for the nature of, of humanity. If a woman finds a guy who's frumpy, chubby and ugly and is worth millions of dollars, and she's she she's in a relationship with him. I think it's stupid to call her a gold digger. I think that's just so stupid. She might even be like, "Yeah, he's kind of ugly, but man, can he provide?" And I'm like, "That's what men do." And then when she she knows that when she's gonna have a family, she's going to be secure. Now I don't think it's fair. I think it's fair to say, it's not absolute. Men want smart women. This is a fact. They really do. Uh women think that men want dumb women. That's not true. They uh, look look at some of these dating websites, because uh, uh, OKCupid put this one out, excuse me, that the reason why 22 is considered like the prince, like the best time. So men find younger and more attractive, but won't date women under 22. And the reason is ignorance, lack of wisdom and intelligence. This is this is actually found in the data. Men think 22 is a good point at which the woman is attractive and young, but has worldly experience, and can can be self-sufficient. But that's why it's 22 and not 30. Certainly, you're older when you get, you know, you know older and wiser isn't always true, but for it typically is. But it's because guys don't prioritize, the you know, the, the ability of women to solve problems and make money, but they do require that to a certain degree. For women, it's inverted. Women do consider the genetics of the man. Is it going to be tall? Are our kids going to be healthy and happy? But can he provide? Because you can find the best and most beautiful man in the world dumb as a box of rocks. And you're thinking like, you know, I'm, it, we might have good looking kids, but we're going to be starving the whole time. I don't take issue with this. You know what I mean? You got to navigate this world and figure out what makes sense for you. And so I think this one, uh, this was a great video because people are ragging on the woman. They're calling her like names and stuff. I'm like, she's right. If you want to live in a progressive world where everyone's equal and all that stuff, like more power to you, man. I got no beef. But uh, I live in a world where I recognize that everybody is, is trying to trade and barter. And, you, you, you know, what's this? What's the saying? You, you can't choose the cards you're dealt, but you can play the but you can play them right. You can't control the wind, but you can't adjust your sails. You might be. You might be an unattractive guy. So what do you do? Well, you get in shape. You get a good job. You sharpen your skills and you maximize wherever you can maximize so that there may be a woman who's like, this guy's a little too short for me, kind of ugly, but he's a genius and he's super rich. And so what does she think? You know, I I don't know if I want kids who are going to be short. Real thing that people are thinking. But then she goes, but man, he's a hard worker. He's very successful. And that means the kids are going to have a great dad. We're going to want for nothing. And I might have beautiful kids who are going to be tall and chiseled, but they'll starve to death. I might have kids with him and those kids are going to be smart, hardworking, brilliant. You see the point? Because being in shape matters a lot too. There are things you can't change, but there are things you can maximize. And so that's what I recommend everybody do. In the meantime, I say she's right. It's not perfect, but whatever. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash TimCastIRL. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. The fertility rate in the United States is collapsing, and you all knew this, and this spells trouble for us. Why? Well, the argument about the southern border, uh, a component of it, many people are stating that the reason they're flooding in, why the U.S. government is allowing them to come in, is because we're not having kids. And if we don't have kids and there's no people in this country, then, uh, uh-oh, you have no country. The powers that be don't want that to happen, so they will import people from other countries to maintain population expansion and economic growth. It's not just about the existence of the country, but the fractional reserve banking system by which we exist upon requires a massive influx of new people constantly, which also strains and stresses the system, and uh, I think will eventually collapse, but uh, it is what it is. Now, I don't know that that's true. What I can tell you is they are flooding the southern border. The government is letting them in and the birth rate is collapsing. Here's my fear. Americans of American value have kids. Those values are transported from one person to another, transfused from adult to parent. Not always, but, you know, to a great degree. If we bring in people who aren't American because we're not having kids, the end result is devastating. A new population that does not care about American values, the Constitution, and Our good ideas die. And then the terrifying thing is bad ideas can prevail. This is why this story is so important. Take a look at this. The Daily Mail reports the plummeting fertility rates across the US have been laid bare in a dailymail.com interactive map. Births in America have been on the decline for years, plummeting 22% nationwide since uh, 2007. Data suggests. With a downward trend prompting warnings, the U.S. is now on an irreversible path of economic decline. In 2007, the birth rate was 14.3 births per 1,000 people. The latest year with data, this has dropped to just 11.1 per 1,000 people. The dramatic fall in births and an an uh, expanding aging population, experts say, could force a rise in taxes to cover programs like Medicare and Social Security, leaving less disposable income available to bolster spending. Elon Musk has previously warned that the decline is now the biggest threat to civilization. With experts warning, it will have a damaging impact on society. It really will. The largest decline is in Utah. And that's worrying because we got a lot of conservatives in Utah, a lot of libertarian minded individuals as well. The smallest decline is in North Dakota. So, okay. you take a look at this and uh, we can see in this interactive map, the population decline in California. It has dropped by 31.3 percent. I ain't crying about it. You look at New York, 20 percent. Illinois is 28 percent. Texas is 24 percent. Now, here's the good news. And this is where it gets interesting. Bad news for liberals. In Nebraska, huh, 18. In Iowa, 16. Missouri, 19. Louis, uh, Arkansas. The point is, conservative-leaning states, with they, they tend to be doing all right or better than many of these blue and liberal states. Georgia's down. Florida's uh, uh, down quite a bit. But, you know, it's not absolute. Pennsylvania's at 16. Maine is at 18. Here's what we need. People need to have babies. Lots of babies. And I'd recommend if you're a libertarian, conservative, post-liberal, whatever, freedom faction, as I like to call it, have a lot of babies. Oh, what's that? Everyone's saying, Tim, why don't you have babies? Working on it. Working on it. And then I'll keep everything else private. That's all I can say. Uh, I I do uh, firmly believe people should have more babies. And uh, what we're seeing with the left, they're not having babies. They're aborting their kids. They're sterilizing their kids. They're less likely to have kids. California, especially. Perhaps the reason California is so hell-bent on bringing in new people is because there's no, because the birth rates collapsed by 30%. It's a big reason. But that spells bad news for the country as a whole. How do you win a culture war? I said it before and I'll say it again. You can build culture and that's what we're doing. But the most important thing is that every single person who agrees with, you know, our opinions on meritocracy, the Constitution, personal liberties, America, et cetera, et cetera. Have seven babies. I know many of you are like, how am I supposed to do that? It's too hard. The economy is really, really bad. How did people who lived in the wilderness do it? No, no, no. I know you can't go live in the wilderness. It's not the same. But back in the day, when people had seven kids, how did they do it? How did they find food? How did they feed their kids? Come on. Food, it's getting expensive. And we've got a bunch of really, really fat people in this country. But instead of converting Twinkies into body fat, convert Twinkies into babies. You see what I'm saying? Here's what I see. We have a we have a very, very fat nation that eats a lot of carbohydrates. Now, typically, when you're looking at the math, more food means more babies. Unless you get to a country that prioritizes abortions, lewd and lascivious behavior, I don't know, degeneracy, you'll end up with people who don't want to have kids and will consume those calories themselves. So instead of converting the food we're producing into more people, let's say let's say you have you know, uh, one hundred food units per 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 week. Your bodily requirement is sixty food units. Uh, let, let, let's let's say you and your wife, you need at least sixty food units. I'm using arbitrary numbers here. What's happening is the excess forty per week, which should be going to children who consume those food units and then grow, uh, are being eaten by the parents and the parents then get fat. You see the problem? That is the liberal, the urban liberal sensibility, I suppose. Not all liberals are fat. In fact, in Chicago, uh, it's, it's like I was reading somewhere that Chicago has a really, really high physically active population, but a lot of obesity as well. It's interesting that polarization. My point is, instead of eating the extra steak and then having ice cream for dessert, why not have kids and that extra steak is fed to the kid who then grows up and becomes a another member of society? You see the point? Well, I I can't tell you it, you know my, the ideas that I have may be good whatever but I, I don't I don't know how we 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 solve for this other than advocacy. Take a look at this. In 1800, families had a woman would have seven kids. <laughs> oh, that is crazy. Seven. Where do we go? We had the baby boom. Look at this. After World War II, kaboom, went from just about two to three and a half kids. Three and a half. And then in the 2000s, it was around two. And now it's below replacement. You know, so I wonder what it is. I wonder what it is. Change in fertility. Births per 1,000 uh, women under 45. You can see that it's, uh, it appears to be deepest in more red areas. And I said this before, and I'll say it again. This is good news. Oregon, you're lacking. Good. I don't care. It, the, the red is in more conservative-leaning states, and that's a good thing. But there are some liberal states, too. California seems to be doing pretty bad. Look at that decline, man. It's kind of crazy to me to see that. What we need is two things, cultural reformation and more babies. I'll explain why. How many of you could build a toaster from scratch? None of you. Nobody could. There's a guy who did a famous TED talk where he explained his journey to build a toaster from scratch. He couldn't do it. Why? Well, he could do some things like he uh, uh, getting the wire. He had to make it, get the rocks, smelt the ore down, extract the, 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 the copper and then wire the copper. I don't even know how to do this. And the uh, the metal coils to make an electric toaster, I should say. The one thing he couldn't do, plastic. It was impossible. Full stop, impossible. So he cheated. He said, "Okay, I can't make plastic, but I can mine plastic. So his argument was he could take garbage plastic, melt it down and mold it to get the plastics he needed to make the toaster. The toaster worked for about 30 seconds, broke and then stopped working. And that was his success. Let me explain. To make plastics, it requires so many specialties that no single human could do it on their own. I mean, probably on small scale, a, a specialist might, you know, someone might, be, someone might be able to, like, figure it out. But it's a combination of the industrial materials, the high pressures, all of these things that come together. I can give you something much more simple than this. Thai food. Have you had Thai food? Man. Okay. Let's not do Thai food. Let's do something easier. Mexican food. So you live in New York in the middle of winter and you just had yourself a chicken burrito with extra sour cream and guacamole. Let's talk about that. Where'd the flour come from? Okay, maybe it was grown in your region in the summer and then stored throughout the winter. Perhaps. Typically, they're just going to import it on a truck from somewhere else. What about uh, the guacamole? Oh, that came from Mexico. You see the point? Each individual Uh, How many how many how many humans could build a computer? It takes many, many people. Some specialize in building the robotics that, you know, we have robots that make silicon chips. Now, isn't that crazy? We've we've used chips to make chips. If we have less people, we have less people who can hyper specialize. And that means technology is hindered by it. The more people you have, the more specialties there are and the more advanced technology can become. That's just simple reality. Now, the problem we have, and the reason I say cultural reformation, is that we're not having enough kids, so we need a culture that says we have more kids, but we need a culture that prioritizes specialty over inane influencer job type things. We need more people who say, I want to figure out how to uh, build a jetpack, and less people who are like, I want to scream on camera and get views. You know what I mean? Not that attention is completely worthless, but the point is we have a lot of people in this country that I think do things that don't value us in the long run. And reforming culture in a direction of technological advancement, maybe building Mars colonies, is something we need. Maybe that's the goal of some of these really evil uh, globalist types, international elites. The current system we have, I think, favors the world that I'm I'm envisioning. Those in the freedom faction, post-liberal conservative libertarian, tend to have more kids, tend to agree with me on these things, and liberals are sterilizing themselves and aborting their own babies. The future seems to be the direction I've described it. That's why I feel like we're going to win. You go out and have as many kids as possible. And guess what? Give it 20 years. Those kids are voting and they're voting well. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out and I'll see you all then.